Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Locked On ACC for President's Day, February 17th, 2020. I'm Brian Mulner. I'm your host. I'm from FB Schedules and College Hoops Digest. That's where you may know me. You probably also know me from this program, which you can follow on Twitter at LockedOnACC and send us an email, LockedOnACC at gmail.com. Not a lot of time to waste on dallying today. Let's get into the weekend in college hoops. A lot of stuff on which to look back from the weekend, including Florida State beating Syracuse 80-77 to in a game that we talked about last week. It was really kind of a must-win for the Orange. They were unable to get it done, though. Elijah Hughes did come back for Syracuse. That was big for them. He had 25 points on 10 of 20 shooting. He was 2 of 8 for 3, but just 3 for 6 from the line, which kind of hurt a bit. Joe Girard, 22 for Hughes. He was just 7 of 22 from the deck, 5 of 12 from 3. Quincy Gurrier had 13, 4 of 5 from the field, 5 of 6 from the line. Buddy Beheim had kind of a tough night, 0 of 7 from the field, 0 of 5 from 3. He played 33 minutes and didn't score. Patrick Williams, he placed the Knowles with 17. He was 7 of 14 from the floor. He had 7 boards. MJ Walker, 5 of 9 from 3. He had 16. Trent Forrest contributed 13 on 5 of 7 from the floor. Syracuse actually outshot Florida State by a bit. 44% to 43%. Syracuse, 28 of 63. Florida State, 28 of 65. Florida State, however, 44% from 3. 11 of 25. Syracuse, just 28%. 7 of 25. Pretty close from the line. Pretty close on turnovers. Two places, however, which were really significant. Florida State had 47 rebounds to Syracuse, 29. Florida State also hauled in 20 offensive boards. Syracuse only brought in 10. Kind of a tough night for Florida State. They did manage to escape with the win, but they did so without Devin Vassell. You'll hear from Leonard Hamilton, and you'll hear the kind of pointed question and the even more pointed response about Vassell's absence. Here's what Hamilton had to say after the game. No close behind for a long, long time, um, and he's developed a, a defensive system that is extremely challenging for just about everybody who goes up against him. Being in, in, in the, in the uh, Big East with him 10 years, going against him today, it was tremendously challenging for us uh, because each time we made adjustments in our offensive system, they made adjustments in their defensive system. And uh, we, we, we were kind of keeping each other off balance. Um, unfortunately, we, we, the second half, we were able to, to get some, some little separation. Um, gave us a chance to win the game. Can't say enough about MJ uh, to, to get a, a cut that he like he got and 12 stitches, off a lot of stitches to, to help him recover from. You have to get all those shots. For him to come back out and represent his team in that fashion with no fear, with a lot of confidence and aggressiveness, says a lot about his will and desire, his toughness, but more than anything else, the culture that we've been able to develop that he wanted to get in there and help his team. And we were, we were floundering a little bit. Not quite as uh, the game was somewhat in doubt, and he put us on his shoulder and made uh, good plays down the stretch. So this, this, this says an awful lot about him. 
the quality of our, uh, the depth of our team obviously raises head today. Uh, everybody who came in gave us some contribution. Uh, and I thought the quality of our depth, I thought it really, really stood out. The thing I like about this team is that we still are not quite hitting on all silvers. We've asked our players to seeking to elevate their game, their focus, uh, whatever sacrifice they have to make, two or three, four or five percent so that we can kind of get closer to reaching our potential. The first half, I thought our inexperience showed um, some of our first-year guys, but we just we were not quite executing as well. But there, toward the end of the first half, we got two uh, uh, turnovers, first two turnovers, Got a couple of easy baskets for my defense. Hit a couple threes. We got a little separation. Uh, but I want you guys to understand the ACC is just as is a competitive of a year that I've ever seen. It doesn't matter where the schools ranked. It doesn't matter whether you're playing at home on the road. Uh, uh, ACC blowout is a four-point victory. And I think we got a, a three-point victory today. And uh, you got to take it with a smile. And, move on to the next game. Uh, we have Pittsburgh coming in here on, on, on Tuesday. They taught us a real good lesson early in the season. You guys got any questions? Leonard, is, uh, was Devin an injury situation, and do you expect him back Tuesday night? I think you guys have been around me long enough to know that I don't talk about injuries. My kid doesn't play. It's, I don't acknowledge it one way or the other. That's it. Yeah, I'd say that's pretty much it. Fairly abrupt from Leonard Hamilton. Tried to find out about Devin Vassell's situation, and he wasn't giving up anything. Some comments there from Leonard about the ACC this year and the way it's been played. We'll have some more comments about the ACC and the way it's been played from another coach coming up the next segment. For now, though, Florida State sits comfortably in third in the ACC. Two teams that are not sitting comfortably in third in the ACC. Miami beats Wake Forest 71-54. Just two Demon Deacons in double figures. Brandon Childress tallied 15. Ismail Massoud, 13. Wake shot 38.9% from the field. They were 21 of 54. They were 6 of 16 from three. It's 37.5%. The Deeks, in somewhat of an alarming number, shot a paltry 46.2% from the line. They were 6 of 13. Olivier Sar was just 2 for 6 from the stripe. Isaiah Wong and Chris Likes had 13 apiece for the Canes. DJ Vasilovich and Cameron Magusti, 11 each. Rodney Miller had 8 points and 10 of Miami's 42 boards. Sam Wardenberg added 9 and 7. Miami shot just 40.3% from the field, 38.1% from 3, but still won comfortably. Miami outpaced Wake in the paint 30-22, had a 16-7 advantage off turnovers, and 12-2 off of second-chance points, despite not having that significant of an offensive rebounding advantage, just 9-5 for the Canes. But they managed to convert a lot of those boards into second chances whereas Wake clearly did not. Since we have so much to get to, let's go ahead and take the first break of the program. We'll come back, get to three more of the games from the weekend, and some comments from those games. You're listening to Locked on ACC. Welcome back to Locked on ACC, President's Day, February 17th, 2020. I am Brian Wilmer. I'm at Sports Matters on Twitter, and I'm your host for the program. Louisville-Clemson took place on Saturday afternoon, and we talked about that game a bit on Friday and how we didn't expect it to be close. It wasn't, except not really in the way we expected it to not be close. 
Our good friend Justin Mathis from the Sports Talk Radio Network in South Carolina, which also features Matt Smith, our good friend down at Locked On Clemson. He was there, and he gathered some of Clemson coach Brad Brownell's comments after that one. Yeah, I couldn't be more proud of our guys. This was an incredible first-half performance. Uh, Just um, I thought our defense was outstanding. Um, You know, we just we were at an incredible level of pace on offense, just uh, guys moving and cutting and sharing the ball. And certainly want to thank our crowd. I thought they had an impact in the game in terms of energizing our team. And, and uh, you know, we've, we've, uh, we've had guys in the, on the team get better. You know, Trey's getting a little bit better. And Alex certainly is making an impact. Um, you know, it's just one of those games where now John Newman plays at another level and gives us that extra guy that we need. Uh, making shots. So just a fantastic team win um, against a very good, very well-coached team that we have a lot of respect for. Brian, I mentioned John Newman in the game he had. He led four Clemson scorers in double figures. He finished with 23 on 7 of 9 from the field, 2 of 3 from 3, 7 of 7 from the line. Tevin Mack finished with 14 and 5 boards. Amir Sims, 14 with 4 boards. And Clyde Trapp finished one board shy of a double-double. He had 10 points and 9 boards for the Tigers. We mentioned that there were some other comments about the ACC and the way it's been playing thus far this year. Brad Brownell went into some thoughts about the ACC and its parody or the way it's playing or however you want to label it. He shared those with us after the game. What's been the biggest difference, Brad, in the last two games? Is it just a confidence thing or just? Yeah, a little bit. Sometimes that happens. Um, you know, I, I, we we played well defensively in both games, and sometimes that helps you because then you're – you're getting out in transition. Maybe you get a couple shots, you know, the easier an easier way. You don't have to manufacture everything with your offense, which is hard in college basketball and in your league. You know, we've played this many games, and everybody knows everything and knows your personnel and knows your favorite plays, and so you got to really execute. Or uh, guys got to make, you know, shots. And uh, you know, we haven't changed a lot. Um, we've just kind of stuck with what we're doing. Um, you know, the last two games we've we've played better. Certainly, you know, I thought we played reasonably well in our game against Notre Dame. Um, not having Amir is a factor for our team because he's our best offensive advantage. And so when we don't have him, that's, that's problematic. Um, so I don't know that we've played, you know, bad basketball all the time. I've, I've told you guys this. There are a lot of times when you can play pretty good basketball in this league, but because of the quality of the competition, it's you know it's not going to be enough some nights um you know our league I, I was asked this at Pitt our league has gotten a little bit of a bad rap because we only got four teams right now that they think are going to make it um but I, I would tell you that a lot of that happens because of what happens in the in the pre pre-conference the non-conference scheduling it's almost like whatever happens before your conference gets labeled and like you know that makes it difficult to to change you know, um, and there's no question the league's not quite as talented as last year or some of the other years when we had three top seeds and all that. But the teams at the bottom of the league are better. The teams in the bottom are much better. And, you know, whoever you want to say can beat anybody on any given night. There's no, like, we, and it's happened. The, some of the better teams have lost, you know, games against the – middle to bottom half teams in the league because the bottom half teams have gotten better. They're different. 
and uh, maybe they've been they're more healthy. Maybe it's some freshmen are now playing different. Um, but be, you know, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, it makes it hard because you, your net's down or whatever from things that happened in November and December, and so it's it it makes it look like the teams are overmatched and they're not. Um, there's a lot of teams in the middle of our league that are playing very good basketball, especially when you play at home. Um, it's an advantage, and, and it's hard to win on the road. Some really intriguing commentary there from Brownell, and it sounded almost as though he was making his team's case for postseason play. It's going to be a tough road for Clemson. I don't even know if they win out in the regular season and maybe win two or three in the conference tournament if they make it, but still, they are coming on a bit, and he's correct in that assessment. Tough day for Louisville on Saturday, as it has been over the last two Dwayne Sutton and David Johnson, the only Cardinals in double figures. They scored 30 of Louisville's 62. Sutton had 18, Johnson 12. Louisville shot just 35% from the field, 24 of 69, 22% from three, six of 27, just 67% from the line, eight of 12. They turned the ball over seven times, but Clemson turned those into 16 points. They enjoyed a 14-2 offensive rebounding advantage. Didn't really seem to help, though. The thoughts of Chris Mack as he continues to search for answers for what's going on with his team over this slight icy stretch. Uh, I want to give credit to Clemson. I, I thought that their team just uh, played their tails off. I thought they um, they were, were absolutely ready to go, um, you know, from the very beginning, you know, all the way through the game. I thought their kids played with a lot of spirit. Uh, they, they made shots at, at, at a high level, and they played well together and, and really sort of built off that, that last win they had at Pitt. Um, so I'm not going to be able to answer a lot of your questions about our team. We're not playing very well, and uh, I own that. i got to figure out a way to, to get better. But until I can watch the film and have some one-on-one conversations, uh, I see the same thing as you do. And uh, this team that started flat and plays uphill or tries to play uphill the rest of the way, and you know, the teams that we're playing are two together, uh, and we're not right now. And uh, it's unfortunate, but... It happens sometimes, and, and my job is to keep our team on course and and, um, and get better. But right now, uh, this week wasn't a good week for our, t- for our team. Fairly well, an understatement there from Coach Mack. Louisville falls out of first place in the ACC. Again, we'll talk more about that a little bit later on. Our final game this segment, Duke hammers Notre Dame 94-60. to The game was still somewhat in reach at the half. Duke led just 42-32, but the Blue Devils outscored the Irish 52-28 in the second 20 to put away the game. Juwan Durham and John Mooney had 67% of Notre Dame's points. Durham scored 21 on 9 of 13 from the floor. Mooney had 19 on 9 of 16. Mooney added nearly a third of his club's board, snaring 9 of their 30. Notre Dame just 9 of 34 in the second half for 26.5%. They also shot just 36% from three in the second half. They were 4 of 11, but that was actually an improvement. Over their first half performance, they were one of 10 from three in the first half, despite shooting a little over 48% in the opening 20. Stop the presses, Vernon Carey didn't get a double-double in this one, but he did score 21 and grab four caroms on eight of 10 from the floor. Trey Jones scored 19, grabbed seven boards. Matt Hurt finished a board shy of a double-double himself. He had 12 and nine on the day. And Alex O'Connell scored 12 and snagged five boards for Duke. The Blue Devils shot 56.5% on the day. 45.5% from three, only went to the line seven times, but they made six of those. They had 52 points in the paint, did the Blue Devils, almost outscored Notre Dame, period, 
just on points in the paint. So a significant day for the Blue Devils, and we'll talk about what that did for them coming up in the next segment of the program, which we'll get to right after this break. Finish up the weekend action in the ACC, get you ready for Monday night. Right after this, this is Locked on ACC. Welcome back to Locked on ACC, President's Day, February 17th, 2020. I'm Brian Wilmer. The third segment of the program will wind down the rest of the ACC action from the weekend. We'll start with Virginia Tech beating Pitt 67-57. Tony and Champagne scoring 12 apiece for the Panthers, despite doing so on just a 9 of 27 combined effort from the floor. Johnson and Koulibaly had 11 and 10 respectively. A near triple-double for McGowan's 8.7 boards, 7 dimes for the Panthers. However, not such a great effort from the field for Pittsburgh. They were 21 of 60 from the floor, 35%, just 5 of 21 from 3, or almost 21%. 10 of 18 from the line, 56% for the Panthers. Meanwhile, P.J. Horn led everybody with 18 for the Hokies, knocked in 6 of 9 from the field, 4 of 6 from 3, Jalen Cohn had 12 on 4 of 6 and 4 of 5 from 3. The Hokies, shooting 44% on the game, 38% from 3. Went to the line just 6 times, didn't matter. They hit 5 of those, 83.3%. Then on to last night's big game. Virginia beat North Carolina 64-62. Garrison Brooks, Cole Anthony, and Christian Keeling had 48 of the Tar Heels' 62 points. Brooks scored 20 on 9 of 14 from the floor, but hit just 1 of 4 from the line. Anthony was 7 of 16, 2 of 5. He finished with 17 points. Keeling made it to double figures for the fourth game in a row. He knocked down 4 of 6 from the field and hit all three free throws he tried to put Carolina ahead. 62-61 with 10 seconds to play. That situation, Thomas Wall, the 10 side, fouled Keeling on a closeout, putting him at the line. He knocked down all three. Carolina went ahead by a point, and then Walda Tensai, in the span of 10 seconds, went from goat to hero. He dropped a triple with 0.8 seconds remaining, giving Virginia the win. Here's what Tony Bennett had to say about the deflating moment, as he called it, around that foul. Well, I just, nah, we just drew up the play that we, you know, we work on, and I thought... Um, Kihei's poise was terrific in that. I thought we made some plays, Mominy's and one, and then to make the free throw. And then um, after the, you know, again, I'll look forward to seeing it if it was a bad foul or he just couldn't stop himself. But that's a deflating um, moment. But, you know, he uh, he certainly stepped up. He was 6 of 10 from three. But for Kihei to get down the floor to find him and then Thomas to stick it, uh, that was that was as good as it gets. So that was an exciting moment for us, for sure, because we've been on the other end of that. And um, you know, there's such a small margin, you know, between winning and losing in Carolina. I, I feel for them in that regard because they've been close and they've been hit by the injury bug in a way that um, you know a lot of teams haven't. So you know, I'm sure they they're battling the ups and downs. We've been so close in every game, and you know, it was an important game for us. So. Thankful for how our guys responded, and I thought we made plays down the stretch as they did too. Bennett then went on to talk a little bit more about Walter Tensai's redemption in that final 10 seconds. I couldn't tell uh, if he ran through him. You know, we were in that at Wake Forest. It was the same situation, and, um, you know, we've been on the other end of that in a good way, uh, I recall, last year. So, you know, you you got to just um, tell your guys, try not to follow. I don't 
you guys could probably answer it better than I did. Did he clearly follow him? What was should we take a vote here or not? <laughs> so he ran into him. So that's frustrating. But you could feel it, as I said, deflate. It was deflating in the um, in the huddle. But but he had his chance and he answered. And I said, if you're going to foul, then make the three. That's a way to erase it. So he did that. Indeed, he did that. Well, the Tensei paced four Virginia double figure scorers. He had 18 on six of 12 from the floor. He was six of 10 from three. Was well, the Tensei. Mamadi Diakite finished with 15. Kihei Clark and Casey Morsell, the two Virginia point guards, tallied 10 apiece. Clark handing out nine helpers for the Hoos. Virginia shot 44% from the field, 24 of 54, 43% from three. They were 9 of 21, 88% from the line, just 7 of 8. Didn't really matter, though. They turned the ball over 12 times, led to 13 Carolina points. Carolina turned the ball over 15 times, leading to Virginia's 8 points which is an unusually small number. Virginia out-rebounded 32-26 by the Tar Heels, who shot 50% from the field, 25 of 50. Just 30% from three, though, three of 10. And then another damaging performance for Carolina from the line. They were just nine of 14 for 64%. One cool thing happened after the game, though. Mamadi Diakite and Roy Williams apparently had a brief conversation. Josh Graham asked about that conversation. And here's what Diakite had to say. Well, I just appreciated the, all the work he's done since you know I first got to college. Uh, it was a great experience, a great run against his team. Um, that's basically it. What did you appreciate so much? What were some of those things? I mean, how well his team did because of him. You know, um, pretty tough team to play against every year. Even today was tough too, but we got the win. So why was it so important for you to communicate that? Uh, because I think he's a great coach too. You know. Uh, I really love my coach, but I think my coach knows too that, you know, I think he's a good coach too. So. If you know Virginia, if you know Tony Bennett, if you know the way they run that program, it's not surprising that a player would make that kind of a gesture toward an opposing head coach. It's really not surprising to see somebody like Mamadi Diakite making that because I've had the chance to uh, cover him several times and every time I've ever been around him, just a completely class kid. And another great thing for him to do. Tonight, Sunday night, BC and NC State closed down the weekend. BC winning 71-68. <laughs> a couple of things to talk about there. First of all, uh, Kevin Keats' jacket. We really need to have a conversation around Kevin Keats' jacket. That was something. But, two possessions by NC State. First of all, they had a possession, their penultimate possession, I Jaden, where they dribbled into the lane and took a contested shot with three guys around the basketball. So you have to figure if three guys are collapsing around the basketball, nobody's setting a screen at that point. So there has to be somewhere to kick the basketball. They choose not to. They choose to take a contested shot. Ball winds up loose. Stefan Mitchell clearly steps out of bounds in front of the official. The official was standing right there, didn't call it out of bounds. Who knows why? Of course, they'll never tell us why. The officials went to review the play, and in the course of reviewing the play, they couldn't review the out-of-bounds part, which doesn't really help. But they did put enough time back on the clock for NC State to get a final three-point try where they dribbled into the paint and then dribbled back out of the paint and tried a turnaround fadeaway three that fell short. Just a, a rough look for NC State on those final two possessions. 
and kind of summed up the way this season has been for them. NC State's four double-figure scorers finished with 55 of the pack's 68 points. Bryce Daniels and Helms had 15 apiece. Double-double for Daniels. He snagged 10 boards. Funderburk added 10 for NC State. NC State just 43.5% from the field, but a woeful 2 of 19 from 3. They made 75% from the line, but that 3-point number is kind of a problem. 40 points in the paint of their 68 for the pack. Derek Thornton, he led all BC scorers and led everybody with 22. Half of those points came on a perfect performance, 11 of 11 from the line. Heath, 16, Popovich, 14, Hamilton, 11 for the Eagles, who shot 45.5% for the game, 40% from three, 83 from the line. 32 points in the paint for BC. They got outplayed from there, but just the woes from the three-point line, too much for the Wolfpack to overcome. The updated standings in the ACC as of the end of the night, courtesy of our friend Patrick Stevens. Duke leads the league. They are 12-2. Louisville 12-3. Florida State 11-3. UVA is 4th at 9-5. NC State is 5th. They are 7-7. They have the head-to-head over Syracuse, who is also 7-7 and 6th. Clemson 7-8. They are in 7th. BC right behind them 7-8. Then you have a little miniature group behind them of Notre Dame at 6 and 8 they are in 9th Georgia Tech 6 and 8 in 10th Virginia Tech 6 and 8 they are 11th Pittsburgh in 12th 6 and 9 Miami off of their two game win streak is now up to 13th place they are 5 and 10 Wake 4 and 11 and Carolina DFL surprisingly they are 3 and 11 and still have not won with Cole Anthony back in the lineup which is amazing to me just kind of a lost season for Carolina. I, I am getting admittedly a little bit tired of hearing the stuff about how unlucky they are and maybe we're just not lucky. You make your own luck. Not really all about this being lucky or unlucky or whatever else, I'm, especially when you're in North Carolina. I'm just kind of done with hearing it. Monday night, the Tar Heels will get a chance to improve that conference record. They will go to Notre Dame. Notre Dame giving four points Monday night. It is a seven o'clock tip. Over ESPN, North Carolina trying to, at least at this point, get a somewhat passable seed in the first round of the tournament. I think it's fairly obvious they're going to be playing on Tuesday in Greensboro at this point, which might be good, might be bad. I'm curious to see how that works. It's not a very common experience to see Carolina playing on day one in the ACC tournament, even though it is in Greensboro, even though the Tar Heel fans will turn out. How many of them turn out to see this team? And if they get sent home, how woeful will the first two days be in terms of attendance? Just another topic on which to keep an eye as the ACC tournament approaches. Just another couple of weeks, we'll be going at it in Greensboro. That will bring to a close the President's Day edition of Locked on ACC. Again, tweet us at Locked on ACC. Send us an email, LockedOnACC at gmail.com. See you back here tomorrow for more. Locked on ACC. Thanks for joining us. Until tomorrow. Love you. Mean it. (laughs)